Hi, listeners. Welcome to Grief Out Loud. Remember the last time you tried to talk about grief and suddenly everyone left the room? Grief Out Loud is opening up this often avoided conversation because grief is hard enough without having to go through it alone. We bring you a mix of personal stories, tips for supporting children, teens, and yourself, and interviews with bereavement professionals. Platitude and cliche-free, we promise. Grief Out Loud is hosted by me, Janet Christofero, and produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children and Families in Portland, Oregon. This is the first in a series on how the approach to supporting grieving children has or hasn't changed over time. We'll be talking to people who had parents die in different decades, and today we're starting with the 1940s. We're hoping to discover how parents, kids, and other adults, such as a teacher or a coach, reacted to children after a death. Did they talk about it? Did they act like nothing had happened? Did they avoid the grieving child? We know that even today, in 2018, children are often shielded from the truth of someone dying. And as a result, they get left out of the collective grieving process. Sometimes this happens because people think children are too young to understand, and a lot of the time it's because it's super painful for parents and caregivers to be present with their children's grief. Today's guest is Dean Conklin. Dean is one of two volunteers at our program for grieving children and families that have been volunteering for over 30 years. That translates into thousands of hours spent listening to and playing with children and teens who are facing the heartbreak of the death of a parent or a sibling. Dean, like many volunteers, came to this work with his own story of loss. In 1945, when Dean was just eight years old, his father died in a work accident. Hi, Dean. Hi, how are you today? (laughs) Thanks for joining me today. Good to be here. I'm really excited that uh, you and I get to kick off the series uh, that's going to be looking at how our response to grieving children has changed over the years. I know it's been over 70 years, but what do you remember about the day that your father died? Oh, my goodness. My dad was a a manager and lineman for a very tiny local electric cooperative in northeastern Utah. He went out to uh, try to repair an electrical problem at a store out in the country. We lived in in a way out in the country, a little tiny house. There was hardly a town of any kind. We had the only telephone, which is one of those hand-crank types that sit up on the wall. It rang in the afternoon, and I heard my mother very excited, and she rushed me and my sister into the car. She took us down to the little country store uh, and left us there with the folks that, that we knew there. They lived in the store. And late that night, my mom came in, and she sat down And she said, uh, we don't have a daddy anymore. I started to cry. My five-year-old sister, Judy, I think she didn't really get it, maybe. So then I told her, Judy, we don't have a daddy anymore. And Dean, what did you understand when your mom said, we don't have a daddy anymore? What did those words mean to you? I'd lost something very, very special. Uh, I just knew that it was... uh, terrible thing. Uh, As far as processing it, I don't think. I was just kind of in shock, I think. Did you understand that it meant that your dad had died? Oh, yeah. I understood that. Absolutely, yes. Uh And then from that day moving forward, how did the adults in your life talk to you about your dad's death or not talk to you about your dad's death? 
They didn't talk about it hardly at all. I don't remember any, any discussion about it. I do remember this, and I don't know if I imagined it or if it really happened. Uh, when they had a viewing for my dad in our house, and he was in the coffin, I remember a man sitting in a chair calling me over, and he says, now you have to be the man of the family at eight years old, you know. So that left me later on thinking, oh, second grade, I should get out and get a job or something, you know. But it came to me over time, uh, I thought, well... The best I can do is be a good boy and don't cause problems. So I think that's been the theme for the rest of my life. <laughs> You're still being a good boy I'm and still, not causing problems. I, I'd like to think so, yes. <laughs> Looking back, are there things you wish the adults would have talked to you about? I don't know how specific I can be, but I wish I think it would have been helpful if somebody had shown some understanding or... I, I don't know, it's hard to say, because I went from that age 8 till age 48 when I joined the Dougie Center, and the subject rarely, if ever, came up. On rare occasions, something wouldn't be happening, or I don't know, my mom had scrapbooks. And I remember one time she was in the scrapbook and she found my dad's obituary. And she started to read it, and she choked up, and she says, I can't. Other than that, I, I don't remember anybody, you know, it's the old proverbial elephant in the parlor. Everybody knew it was there, but nobody talked about it. For 40 years. For 40 years. What did your grief look like as a kid? Uh, well, I'll tell you. What comes to my mind when you say that is, my dad died on Friday the 13th, the day after President Roosevelt died. It must have been on Monday because I didn't go to school. And I remember walking down the road past the school and the kids were out for recess. Seeing them out there and it really hit me at that point. I thought, I'm different. Now I'm, now I'm different. Again, that kind of goes along with the good boy thing is I'm different. And I think in many, many ways, difference is not only different, but not as good as and so I've, uh, I think, tried very hard over the years to, to show off and, and <laughs> prove that I'm as good as other people. <laughs> so that difference instantly became a sense of lack, that you were lacking something. Absolutely. Uh, lack, loss, yes. Uh -huh. something, was, something very important was missing. And you mentioned that first day going back to school, you know, over the course of elementary school and high school, how did your relationships with other kids your own age change as a result of your dad dying? I don't know that it changed that much. I had friends. I had very good friends, very close friends, and I got along well with my my peers. I can't really say that it affected my relationships, even though it, no doubt it did in some ways. You talked about how the adults in your life really just didn't talk about it, didn't mm -hmm. talk about the fact that your dad had died and you didn't have an opportunity to do that grieving mm -hmm. together. How would things have been different for you if the adults had addressed it? Well, that brings me to the Dougie Center. I mean, when I found out at the Dougie Center, about the Dougie Center, three years after Beverly Chapel started it, I saw a thing on the news, on TV, and it really struck me. It was like, whoa. 
what's this? You know, it took me a year to get up the courage, and I finally came and become a facilitator. And I've kind of lost track of your question, but my answer seems to be there was this tremendous realization that I could finally deal with this very significant issue after all those years. So I don't know if that answered your question or not, but that's what comes to mind. Well, it makes me wonder then if your grief as a child didn't really have a chance to be acknowledged or expressed when you became a volunteer at the Dougie Center 40 years later. How did your grief look then? How did it show up? <laughs> oh, <laughs> we're not supposed to do do it, but I cried with the kids. I was just another cry, grieving kid <laughs> for the first year or so, I think, you know. I felt a tremendous bond for those young people because of the whole thing about the Dougie Center is I was not alone anymore. And these were my peers, in a sense, even though they were much younger than I was. And it was an opportunity to, at last, face it, listen to other people, tell my story. How did the kids respond to you sharing your story of having been their age when your dad died? <laughs> I, think, I think they related very well, especially the teenagers and the littler ones, too. But I was one of the facilitators that started the very first teen group at the Dougie Center. I felt a real acceptance by those people. One of the people in my group was Brennan Wood, who's the head of the Dougie Center today, you know. She was a teen in your group. She was 12 years old, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I just felt like we were all in this together. Can I tell a little story? I've said this before, but it's, I think it captures what the Dougie Center's all about. I'd probably been in the, working in a group for, I don't know, maybe a year or maybe even less. And one evening, we used to have uh, potluck dinners together with the families. One evening, this new family came in. It was about a 12 or 13-year-old boy and his mother. And he looked and acted a lot like Fonzie from Happy Days <laughs> with the black leather jacket and the collar pulled up, you know. And he walked over and he stood in the corner and he wouldn't eat. And later his mother told us that she practically had to drag him in. So we went up to our group and we were doing in our check-ins. And so the kids were going around, you know, saying who they were, who died, and, you know, sharing their thoughts and whatnot. I was kind of watching this young man out of the corner of my eye. He didn't sit on the floor with us with the pillows. He sat up on a chair in the corner. So when it came around to his time, you know, I think I and probably all the other facilitators were wondering, okay, what's going to happen, you know? He had listened to these kids, and I could tell that he was paying attention and came to his turn, and he said, my dad died six months ago. And he was my very best friend. I haven't talked about it. And then he just broke down and started to cry. We all cried with him. <laughs> and then, to me, that captures. And what I'm saying, telling this story is this. What would have happened if, that hadn't, if he hadn't had the Dougie Center, you know, like me? Hopefully, then life had been okay, you know. But having that opportunity to process that, to vent those feelings... I like to think, I'm convinced, made a huge difference. And sounds like a difference in your life as well, being yeah. part of that experience. Exactly, yes. Mm -hmm. 
Dean, you've had a unique vantage point of being closely connected to this work with kids and their grief for over 30 years. And I'm wondering what you see happening now in terms of how adults are interacting with kids and talking about grief that seems different than when you were eight. Well, uh, of course, uh, my perspective is influenced so much by the Dougie Center. I like to think, and I think that people are more open, more open to this thing. It's like so many other things today, things that were never talked about 20, 30, 40 years ago, even sooner, uh, are now slowly coming out, you know. And as far as children and grief go, it's still got a ways to go. But the fact that we have so many groups and so many families and so many people and and all of our spin-offs all over the world. I think we're we're definitely well, I shouldn't say think I know we've made a a huge difference. Since it's been over seventy years since your dad died, what memories of him are still with you? What Boy, you- that's a that's a great question. Very few. Very, very few. Just little vignettes, little snippets. I remember one time being out in a field trying to chase some sheep and I started to cry and my dad came over and put his arm around me and told me it was okay. I remember that and he said we'd go to the picture show and see Roy Rogers and and Tom Mix in the same movies. (laughs) And uh, from everything I can tell my dad was a very uh, a very good person I guess. I guess you could say Years, well, this has only been about maybe 10, 15 years ago. My sister Judy and I met with a man who worked with my dad, worked for my dad, for the very reason that we wanted to see if he could tell us anything about my dad. He did. He he said that my dad was a very respected, very, very much liked person. And the term that come to my mind is... He said he had personality plus, whatever that means. But it sounds like he was uh, very much liked. So as far as specifics, I don't know much. I don't remember much. But I have a general sense that he's still with me. I wondered, too, if your family and your community had talked more about your dad and talked more about the relationship he had with you and your sister if you would have a different amount of memories moving forward that maybe weren't necessarily yours that you had with him? Yeah, I like that question. Uh, I have to think it would. I mean, I, surely it would. That would have been a wonderful uh, thing, but uh, it didn't happen. I hope that parents today, not just parents, but adults today, would allow children to process that. How did your experience as a child inform how you were a father? I'll tell you, what pops to mind immediately is I would never abandon my kids for anything. Being there for them is probably the paramount thing in my life, has has been ever since I had them. I have a real bias there because I see and hear of, of fathers who don't, living fathers who don't, step up for their kids, and it pisses me off. I, I understand they have their reasons, you know, and who am I to judge, but darn it, it hurts me to see a father not there for his kids. 
Yeah, given your experience of not having the opportunity mm. to be there with your dad right. because he died, and then to real, realize that you have that ability to be there for your kids. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And obviously, I've made a, plenty of mistakes as a as a parent, but uh, I love my kids. They love me, and I think that's the bottom line, really. How would you describe your grief today? Hmm, that's a good question. Oh, mellow. <laughs> mellow? Mellow, yeah. I don't even know if I'd use the word grief. It's more like, it's something that's incorporated. It's like any, all of our big experiences. It just gets incorporated into part of who I am. So it's become fully integrated into your being. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's just, like I said, part, a significant part of who I am. It influences probably everything I do. We've talked a little about the words that the kids and the teens use when they're here to describe their mm -hmm. grief. I'm wondering, are there any ways that you see the kids behaving or acting that remind you of yourself? I had an experience just a week ago with our Pathways group. This Pathways group is our group for kids who have a parent or a sibling who's dealing with an advanced serious mm -hmm. illness, so the person is still alive, but there's grief around the illness. Yeah. And these were uh, two boys, eight and nine years old, and I was eight years old when my dad died, you know. And we had a uh, kind of a plan about what we were going to talk about. So we broke up into groups, and I was with these two boys and myself. Well, the sense I got from them, they didn't know how to talk about it. They fidget and squirm and make funny gestures and look at the ceiling, and they're kids, <laughs> kids, you know. And I recognize that, no doubt, I was that way. And I guess my thought behind that whole thing is, at that age, we really don't know how to talk about it. It's really, really hard to really put it into words, and yet I'm absolutely convinced that those boys and the rest of them being there, just being here, being in our groups, makes a tremendous difference. Hearing the other kids, it normalizes it. I, I guess I would see myself as being just like those kids, not knowing what the hell to say. <laughs> and squirming around. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think, too, about how, you know, the experience of being in a room with all these people who have also had someone die and also having the modeling from the other people in the group mm. who have found some words and mm -hmm. to say, oh, one day maybe there will be words for my experience or those words fit, yes. maybe I'll use those. Yes, yes. That's a very good point. It reminds me of a, uh, a group many years ago when I was in teens. We had a young lady, and she probably went for many months, and all she would say was her, my dad died after, I don't know how, six months, I don't know. But she was listening. Now, this is what you go into your question. She was listening to what was going on around her, what the other kids were saying and doing. And one day she came in and she says, I'm ready to talk now. <laughs> and she did. <laughs> it was just like... I love that she announced it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was just like, uh, okay, I see how this works. You know, I'm ready to do this, you know. Well, Dean, I so appreciate you coming in and spending some time sharing your memories, not only of your time here at the Dougie Center, but your mm -hmm. experience of being 
a really young boy and having your dad die. Thank you for sharing with me. Well, thank you. It's It's been cathartic. I really appreciate the opportunity. I really do. And listeners, thank you for being part of our audience today. As I said, this is the first in our series, so keep an ear out for future episodes talking to folks who have had parents die in different decades. We're hoping for the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, maybe even to the 90s. And if you're new to our show, you can find more of our episodes on our website, dougy.org, or you can find us in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, any other platform that you use for your podcast listening. If you have ideas for a topic or if you just want to tell us a little bit about what you think about the show, please reach out. You can uh, email us at help at Dougie.org. Thanks for listening. Hope you'll join us again next time. <laughs>